Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Last weekend in this series, so welcome to all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here. You know, we just sang that song, one of my favorite songs right now, Speak the Name of Jesus. And uh, part of that song, it says, shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus over darkness and over every enemy. And I think as a church and as a community, in light of the tragedy yesterday in Allen, if you don't know about that, um, you, sh- you will. Um, what do you say? What do we say? There's so many political answers. There's so many safety answers. But there is really one answer, and that is Jesus. And I know that sounds to those of us perhaps in the room who are not believers and you're just like, oh yeah, I just pray. That's the, the, the reason why we say that is not because you don't act, not because you don't pass laws, not because you don't ask for wisdom in order to do what we need to do as a country, states, cities. But the foundation, and this is just our belief, the foundation of everything we do is rooted and grounded in the love and grace of God. And we really do need to speak Jesus over our area and over the families that were affected. Um, the police officers, the sheriff, one of my friends, the sheriff that was on duty there, used to uh, work here at Hope in, in helping us with, uh, with traffic and in the halls. Great guy. I mean, it's the weight that these first responders carry, uh, that the witnesses that were there carry, and of course, the families of the victims um, and the shooter. And so would you, I just think as a church, and I hate to you know, start a, a message on a downer, but um, actually, I think that it would be good for all of us at all of our campus if we would just stop for a minute and pray over our area and over these families. Would you join me? Lord, um, it's in times like these where we need you, Holy Spirit, to pray through us. And the things that we don't know how to pray, because I know in this room, in a, in a church our size, there are many, many varieties of opinions and answers on, on how we should attack this particular issue of violence. But at the end of the day, I think, and I hope that we all agree, that your name and your presence and your comfort and your grace and your peace is the only thing that is really going to bring lasting change to any of us. So we pray for the families of those who died yesterday. We pray that you would bring comfort, healing, and in somehow, some way, that your comfort would surround them through the people of God in this community and, and through their family and others that care. Pray for our first responders that um, carry the weight of every day, much less something like this. And um, I just can't imagine their, their trauma, their hearts. God, speak and bring peace to them, our city officials and our state officials and our country leaders. 
God, we need you more than we have ever needed you before. And I pray for our leaders that you would give them wisdom to see beyond trivial things that really don't matter and, 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 and get to the heart of what needs to happen in this country. And it's, again, I know it would be a miracle, but it's only you that, that any kind of lasting change can happen. So in all those things, we ask for the wisdom for all of our leaders as they make decisions and pass laws and do things to help the hospitals and the nurses that were involved, the doctors, um, everyone, the witnesses, we pray. And we speak the name of Jesus over our community and Alan specifically. And know that you hear our prayers and, and we trust you. We trust you with this. And it's all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, well, you do look good, by the way. I can see you. Some of you. Some of you um, just rolled out of bed. That's okay. That's all right. Um, glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, I don't say this a, a ton, but if you're visiting with us on any of our campuses or, or online, you just happened to catch us today. So glad that you did. So glad that you're here. Uh, we don't take it lightly that you're here. And I hope that today, uh, we've been in a series called Confessions, and I hope that today uh, is, is helpful for you. Um, we always want to point you to Jesus. And today's subject is, is kind of a, uh, a practical subject on, on confession. And I think many of us are going to relate. I, I know that all of us hopefully will learn something, whoever you are. But over the last few weeks in this confession series, we kind of tackled it like this. As it is if we all sitting in the room together, whatever campus, wherever you are online, that I confess that I struggle or I confess that I have this or going on, right? So that's what this series has been about. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about anxiety. We struggle, some of us, with anxiety and depression. And, and Toby Slough came in and, and helped us with that. Uh, Robert did a great job talking about doubt. Some of us just doubt. You know, where is God in a, in a time like this? Where, where is God and why? All those kinds of questions. And what do we do when we really confess that we struggle with doubt? Uh, last week, I talked about the American church challenges and, and, and the things that I believe as, as a church, and I can only speak to and, and, and help hope here, and that means all of us, what do we need to do to get to where we need to be the church that Jesus said he would build? And then today, uh, we're going to talk about marriage. I confess that perhaps you, maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, man, my marriage could use some help. My marriage could use some real help. Maybe you're divorced today and you're like, oh, great. Why did I come today? Because it is painful and, and it's not, uh, I don't make light of that. Divorce, there's a reason why God says he hates divorce. He does not hate divorced people. There's a reason, though, why he says he hates divorce, because he knows the pain that it brings to people. And you're sitting here today, and maybe you've been through one, two, three, four, whatever, and, and maybe some of it was your fault. Maybe it was things that happened to you, and there are biblical reasons and grounds for divorce. But at any rate, you're sitting here today, and you're like, John, I don't want to hear this right now. And I understand that, but I'm hoping that by the end, you will understand why we do things like this. If you're single today or a widower or a widow, and uh, you're, as, soon as, I, as soon as I came on the screen, you were like, oh boy, 
I wish I would have watched online today. Um, I'm glad you're here because we're going to talk to that and speak to that, whoever you might be in, whatever season of life you might be in. If you're married, then you know that um, there are some challenges that come with marriage. Let me just give you, and I know we know these, but I'm just going to give you some context here in the United States on marriage. Some of these things you know, some of them you may not know, but 50% about uh, of marriages end in divorce, and that goes way up for second and third. In fact, third uh, marriages end 73% of the time. So it is not easy, this thing called marriage. We all know that relationships, whether you're dating, friendship, friendships, work relationships, no relationship is easy because you're in it <laughs> and I'm in it and we're messed up and we're dysfunctional and we carry baggage and all those things. So um, this is kind of a, a statistics that's been around and this is going down, but there's a reason for that. And I'll get to that in a minute, but another a stat, average length of a marriage prior to divorce is eight years. So typically if somebody is going to get a divorce, it's going to be, they're going to go about eight years. That's average nationally. The next one is 66% of men and 74% of women really believe that their spouse could have worked harder to save the marriage. That is a high percentage of people who now looking back at their past and their divorce and say, we could have worked harder. We could have, we could, and that's why we're doing this, to just to say, to, to help those who are still in, and those of you who have learned, you can, you can help uh, in, in this area by, by your encouragement to others and so forth. So that's one of the stats. The next one is people are waiting, and this is the reason why the divorce rate is going down a little bit in our country, because they're waiting much longer to get married than ever before. I was married when I was 20 and, my, and, and Melissa was 19. I mean, that was dumb. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I wouldn't, change a, I wouldn't change a thing, right? But we were, now, I, now my parents were, you know, my mom was 18, three weeks out of, out of high school and got married. And in those days it was, and I understand back in maybe the days you got married at 15 and 16, maybe we should go back to that, right? But, um, Age 32 for men and age 30 for women. This is the national average for people who are getting married. Um, and that's why uh, it's taking longer for the divorce rate to catch up. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's part of the reason why. Another one is uh, the religion with the highest divorce population is evangelical Protestants. That's us. Yeah, that's you know, evangelical means that we believe in the gospel and the good news and proclaiming that good news, go into all the world. That's, that's basic. And I know evangelical is broad and evangelical can be a bad word and all that stuff, but it is what it is. Um, that's who we are. This is this church. And there's reasons for that. Part of an evangelical church is to reach those who are far or disconnected from God. And when you do... How many understand people far from God, people close to God are messy. People far from God are messy. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And so when you reach those people, they have messes and they have divorces and they have all this. So there's reasons for this. It's not just like we're bad people and we're hypocrites and although we are, look around. But um, that's, that's one of them. Next one, 
think this is the last one, those not affiliated with any religion are less likely to marry and more likely to divorce than individuals with religious beliefs. So this is not my statistic, but if you're an atheist or an agnostic or you have no religion uh, at all, then you're more likely to get divorced than anyone and you're less likely to get married. Now, having said all that, that's just to give some context so that we all know what we're dealing with here. This is, again, national average. Let me give you some thoughts about here at Hope. I've been the pastor here for 23 years, January be 24, and uh, we've gone through a lot of uh, journeys with marriages in my personal friendship circle, my small group uh, friendship circle, and our church at large. And it is one of the biggest things that we've dealt with over the years, uh, trying to get people healthy, trying to stay healthy myself, you know, all of us, just trying to journey this out. Here's a a few of the uh, challenges in the different seasons of marriage. So let me just put this on the screen, and I'll go through them quick because I want to get to the end uh, quicker than later. Um, Newlywed challenges. So if you're newlywed, whether you're first time married or you're getting back into the game and maybe it's your second or your third marriage, dealing with family of origin issues is huge because you're coming into this relationship with baggage, all of us, no matter what age. And so when you come into a marriage with baggage, that's called, uh, in, in many ways, family of origin. So how you were raised in the dysfunction and the trauma or the abuse or the health or you know whatever, you're bringing that to the marriage. And so you bring expectations, you bring ideas, you bring a pattern or a way of thinking that you were raised with, and so does your spouse. And so when you put those things together, holy cow, it can be challenging. Possible blended family issues. So if you're blending a family, and we all know, and we have ministry for this, Craig and Gina Morgan are my dear friends who uh, lead Blended Together, teach us here at our class, and we have other classes as well that talk about this, but blended family issues is even more challenging because you're bringing families into the mix and it becomes really an issue of challenge, both working, navigating personalities, and just getting to know one another. So that's newlywed. So let me go, I'm sorry, I bogged down there, but let's go. Young marriage entering parenthood challenges, navigating baby challenges, physical changes in your body, Emotional changes and challenges, work challenges, physical challenges, financial challenges. Next one is married with multiple children challenges, working through schedules, financial challenges, emotional and physical needs not met. And, and so I'm leaving this general, but I'm hoping that you, you understand. I know we have uh, young, young people in the room. Exhaustion, navigating a drift that happens when children come on the scene. Next one is married with middle school and high school uh, challenges, crazy teenage years, right? <laughs> I, knew you would, I knew you were gonna say that. Crazy teenage years, juggling schedules, financial considerations with sports. Sports is expensive. School can be expensive if you're private school or, or even public school. Cars, clothes, church, uh, central focus on kids. That is kind of the challenges that you face with, with this group. Next one. Empty nester marriages challenge. You're just getting to know each other all over again after the central focus of your whole life has been on the kids. And that can produce boredom, physical changes as you get older and, and, and challenges have, have, have grown so far apart you have nothing in common. 
And these are real issues for people that are empty nesters when they've been focused on the children. If you have one, two, three, four kids and maybe more, and, and you've been in sports and you're juggling schedules and both of you work or you know whatever, and then all of a sudden there's nobody else in the home and it's supposed to be awesome. And it's like, wow, hey kids, can y'all come back? Because it was much better with you here. All right, so the next one is, and this is the last one, retirement marriage challenges. Women want the husband to get out of the house at all costs. Men are oblivious. So can I just, can I get an amen from anyone? I have, I have friends, we ride bikes together and, and I actually have spouses and most of them don't say this, but some of them say, hey, when's your next ride? <laughs> when's your next ride? Um, so these are some of the things that, um, and I know some of these are a little trivial, but most of them are real. And they are very challenging, even though I went through them quickly, they are very challenging to deal with. Take into consideration, I just want you to, on a scale from one to 10, where would you rate yourself with God in your relationship with God? Committed to the Lord, committed to, 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 to um, uh, walking out the word? One to 10, where would you say? Now, if you're a, a seven or above, you're probably, I'm gonna, I'm, please, please don't misread this because I think you can have a good marriage and not be a believer in Jesus. I think you can love one another and love well and not be a follower of Jesus. So I'm not saying that we're better and that, that, that I'm not saying that at all. We're all human. And, and so we bring things to the table and if we work hard and we love well, those are gifts of God. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, those are gifts that come from God. But the reality is um, on that scale and depending on that scale, if you are, you know, a five, or a four in your commitment, you, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, I'm not saying you're not a good Christian, you don't, you don't love Jesus, but do you understand what I'm saying? The commitment level that you have in, in pursuing a healthy marriage is going to determine how successful you are at having that healthy marriage. And if your commitment level is really low, then there's a lot of like outs for you. There's a lot of things that you can get distracted with we all can, no matter who we are, no matter what level or number you give yourself. But today, um, we have a tremendous, I, I just have a great friend, Brock Yonke, who is our care counseling pastor, recovery. He brought to the table uh, here at Hope Regeneration, our recovery ministry, and re-engage our marriage ministry. And now he oversees all of our care, which would be hospitals and counseling and uh, recovery and marriage and benevolence and so forth. So he's been here 13 years with us and is a, a great friend of mine, but he is a, I would say, our resident expert in helping marriages get healthy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask him some, some questions and let him answer. And I promise you this, I've sat through this once. I was blown away. I was like, Oh, okay, he does know what he's talking about. Do not be alarmed at the baldness. If it's a shine on the camera at one of our campuses, you let us know, we'll put some makeup on that. Brock, I love you. <laughs> come out, come out wherever you are. Give him a hand, would you? <laughs> I love you. Uh-huh. 
Um, okay, 13 years here. We've worked together a long time. Grateful. I'm so grateful. Thank you. For your wisdom, for your heart, and your growth as I've seen you apply yourself to, to your ministry and, and your leadership here. Um, I want to ask you some questions, and I want you to just go. I'm going to try not to interrupt too much, yeah. unless I don't like the answer. Good luck and with that. So, I'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> Let me, let me just go on. Let me, let me get, get ready. Here we, here we go. Number one, what are common threads that you see between marriages that are in trouble here at Hope? So if I were to put it down to like two words, it would be connection and communication. Okay. <clears throat> that it feels like as we get going, we start to drift apart. You mentioned the word drift. That connection and communication seem to break down. Okay. So over the years, I've kind of evaluated some things. My own marriage, uh, read a lot from Brene Brown, I uh, read a lot for, um, from doctors John and Julie Gottman. So put together some ideas uh, that seem to really make sense to me. And so if we, we think about relationships like a, like a scale, and so we kind of start off neutral with people, and think of beginning in dating relationships. We're saying a lot of nice things to each other. Uh, we're um, just enjoying each other's company. We're feeling excited about things. And so studies show that we're kind of moving into what's called positive sentiment override. So you're getting a lot of positive sentiments, a lot of positive feelings about people. And so you go into this kind of this, we're making deposits in that side of the scale. So that's good. That's really good. Because yeah. think what happens if like, like when you're dating and they do something wrong, like, oh, that's cute. That's a little quirk that they have, right? Because we're still kind of in the positive side of things, yeah. right? So it's like those things get going. But what happens is after a while, when we stop making those deposits, we kind of move into this other side of the scale called negative sentiment override or negative emotions. And so when we're living in this negative side, what happens is a lot of times as couples, we start to feel disconnected when we don't feel seen, heard, and valued. Okay. And so we start to move in this negative side. We're like, think about it. If, if you're in a relationship and someone is always just saying, hey, you should do that better. You should clean better. Uh, I wish you would make the bed, which by the way, makes no sense to me. Making the bed, we're just going to mess it up in just a few hours anyway. So yeah. Oh, did I? I thought he was an expert. <laughs> yeah, this, this makes no sense. And the pillows, the massive amount of pillows, no sense. You can put them on the True. floor at night anyway. All right. Yeah. I do agree with that. I think I got my first amen here yeah. on that. So, um, But if you're just kind of constantly hearing these negative things, you should do this better, you're, you kind of get in this thought that after a while that this person doesn't really value me. Uh, and if communication starts to break down where you can't really share what's going on inside of your inner world, even if it's negative, people start to say they don't really care what's going on in my brain and my heart. So you start to move into negative sentiment override. And so the problem is, um, so doctors John and Julie Gottman have studied that they just do, they have like a research lab where they study couples. And in order to kind of continue to live in that positive sentiment, positive good feeling override, there has to be a minimum of at least a five-to-one interaction of positive things and negative things going on in a relationship. Five-to-one. Five-to-one. And that's just bare minimum. A lot of couples that really do well live in a 20-to-one ratio of, of positive things and negative things. And so that means like if you're in a relationship and you're saying, hey, I really appreciated that about you. Uh, thank you for doing that. Um, just even just the small things. Like I just want to remind you why I love you. And it's like oftentimes we start, we think about our spouse and we think these beautiful things, and they're in our brain, but oftentimes they don't come out. And so what happens if you never hear that you're valuable, you start to believe this other story. And based upon our past, we might go into this 
this negative spiral about things. So couples that are living in positive sentiment override, they can kind of start to forgive because they feel valued. But the couples in the negative sentiment override, studies show that they typically live in a 0.8 to 1 ratio. So that means they're getting more negative comments than positive comments. And if we're just to take that and move that to like work, for example, and your boss comes in and tells you all the things you need to do better, all the things you're not doing well, hey, you really messed up on this, can you work on that? What are you going to start to feel after a while that your boss thinks about you? I may not be the best employee. But if you're kind of living, hey, I appreciate it when you do that, and kind of then all of a sudden you start to to feel like, okay, this person does care about me and they really think I'm doing a good job, I'm going to work harder. And so one of the things that we can start to do when we think about that connection and communication piece to move in that positive sentiment override is thinking about how can I make sure if I think something I'm saying it or think about doing something nice, am I doing that for my spouse so they can constantly hear that I care about them. And another thing that constantly needs to happen is we continually need to evaluate our communication skills because if a person can't really share what's going on in their inner world and they're not feeling heard, they start to feel devalued, they move down to the side. And so one of the best things we can do is learn how we can just sit even in negative communication. But one of the studies also shows that the more questions you ask of people, the more connected they feel to you. Like, have you ever heard that statement when someone's like, hey, they were the best, what did they say to you? Oh, they didn't say anything, they just asked me questions. Because they're getting to know your inner world, and so as we get to know the inner world of people, we start to move into the side where like, this person sees me, they value me, they appreciate me. So oftentimes that stuff starts to disappear and we're living down in this negative side. And you can see why the relationships start to drift because why would I want to be with someone that thinks I'm uh, not valuable? So the, what, what I have seen too, and, and I don't mean to generalize, but men seem to get to a point where they just say, hey, this is just who I am. I don't talk that much. I don't want to communicate that much. You married me, live with it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that should not be an amen, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so what I'm hearing, and I don't want to belay because we got more, but, but what I'm hearing is it takes work. Yeah, and most of us aren't natural at relationships. Right. We have to learn from things. And so Dr. Gottman calls the people that live in positive sentiment override, he calls them masters. And the studies show that if you study the masters, you too can become a master at being in a relationship. Okay. But the other side of the scale, the people that are living in this negative he said, there's a 90% chance they're not going to make it. Disasters. And he calls them disasters, yeah. which is probably not the greatest term right. when you hear about your marriage. But it's like, so, but we can learn and we can begin to move to that side. It's not like it's irreversible. But to say that, hey, I don't have relationship skills and I'm not going to learn relationship skills is kind of against the, it's a little counterintuitive to how life works. We're always yeah. growing, always learning, and we have to learn how to be in relationships. Good. So, you know, when, when Melissa and I got married 36 years ago, we didn't go through any premarital counseling. Nobody talked to us one word, said one word to us in a sit-down meeting at all. Um, we lived in different cities for the summer before we got married. Anyway, and I, that was such a mistake. It, our first few years, in, in particular the first year, was so tough because I, I'm an only child, and I bring that baggage and selfishness and self-centeredness. She came from a dysfunctional, well, we all come from dysfunctional families, but really challenging situation. And brought expectations, and man, we had struggle. We do premarital counseling. Let me ask this question. We, we do a premarital seminar, seminar for people about to get married. 
what are what advice do you give them in order to have a healthy marriage long term? So what do we do? Yeah, so we do this weekend seminar. We give some information and talk about how. Uh, having a biblical view of marriage, and Jesus was a master teacher when it comes to being in a relationship. But one of the greatest pieces of marriage advice I ever received is one of the things we try to really hone in on at this premarital seminar, is that you can't change other people. You just can't. I mean, I've tried. It doesn't work. I mean, look how many years I've been trying to change you, and it's just not happening. Uh, Good to know. (laughs) But like, that was a joke, by the way. My, my, My... my jaw just went flooding through my leg. I lost it. Um, and so, um, but like, we can't change other people. We can only change ourselves. And so we talk about this concept about drawing the circle around yourself and really working on what's inside that circle. We can't change how another person communicates. We can't change how another person does that, but we can change how we respond to that. And we can d- adopt this Christian viewpoint of like, Jesus has called me to lay down my life, deny myself, sacrifice for another human being. He's called me to be this learner so that I can not say, oh, I'm just not that way, but I can learn to be a better attentive and loving person. So that idea of drawing the circle around yourself and saying, I can work on me, you know, because a lot of people come into relationship, and I don't know if this is the best terminology for this, but a lot of us, I call it big T trauma. Yeah. And so we have this trauma that the significant, impactful life events that really affect us, and it really impacts how we relate to others. But others of us have had maybe what we'd call little t trauma, where someone else might say, that's not a big deal. But to us, it's a big deal. And that affects how we're in relationships. And so drawing the circle means I'm going to go back and work and make sure I'm as healthy as I can be. I'm going to work on my communication skills. I'm going to work on how I can live more in that positive sentiment override side by learning how to communicate appreciation, friendship, and value to that person. So what's one thing a husband can do, one thing a wife can do um, that can help this situation? So my wife, Alicia, and I, years ago, uh, we asked each other the question, what are three things that I can do that would make you feel loved? Like I get a target. Yeah. And so, because a lot of times you guys have heard of the five love languages, it's like everybody receives love differently, and oftentimes we give love the way we think it should be given. We need to learn how this other person responds. Yeah. And so that was so helpful to hear from her practically. Here's some things I could do that would make her feel seen, heard, and valued. And I wasn't having to guess anymore. And that's one of the things that I really hate about kind of modern ideas of marriage is mind reading. Mm. If this person just knew, if they loved me, they would just know. Like, yeah. that's, not, that's not reality. Communication is what gets us there. Yeah. And so asking each other those three, those, things, those three things has really been a game changer for us in our relationship. So just, just communicating. Yeah. Again, it goes back to that connection and communication. Yeah. Yeah. So we have singles in our church, obviously quite a few, either never married or been divorced, navigating singleness, dating, and, and possible marriage. What are some helpful tips for them as they navigate this season? Yeah, I would say the same thing. It's like the best thing all of us can do for our marriages and for our relationships and just for life in general is to get as healthy as we can because there are going to be negative events. There are going to be negative emotions, and our past dictates how we respond to those. So how can we learn to respond to those in a little more peace, in a little more grace, in a little more forgiveness? Uh, when I was going through counseling and trying to discover what was going on, I realized there was certain negative emotions that would come my way, and it's almost like they were attached to certain behaviors like anger, control, uh, running away. And so I was really bad at any negative emotion, and so my wife would share with me some negative thoughts, and I'd like, that's enough of that. Yep. We're not going to go there. I'm going to control you or raise my voice or whatever it might be. And so learning how to, to, to bring healing to those areas. And so um, 
going on this journey of being as healthy as we can be. And so there, we have th- several things set up here, like counseling is huge. And that was a big part of my journey. Uh, regeneration is a massive part of just discovering who I am and so that I can respond better. And so like just doing everything you can, just be on this relentless pursuit of being healthy because it's going to honor maybe a future marriage if that's the case, but it's going to honor the world around us. It's going to honor Jesus the way we treat and love other people because we're not responding out of pain. We're responding out of the peace of Christ in our hearts. I think this goes back to just dating. If you're in high school or even middle school and you begin this dating thing, I think there is a, and it's easy for me to say, so I know this, but I think there's this like, sometimes this, I always have to have somebody. I always have to have somebody. And especially when there's a divorce that happens, we tend to want to gravitate to something. And instead of getting this healthier, we immediately go to, this is going to fix it. Mm-hmm. My pain, my challenge, my trauma that I've just experienced in that divorce or that I am you know, challenged with, now I'm going to just go to another one because that one's going to fix me. Yeah. And until this is right, this is going to be really, really tough. Yeah. So I would just say, if you're single, um, I'm all for dating, uh, you know, apps and, and 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 online dating stuff. I think that's awesome. Some of them are really good, not evil. Some of them are weird, I know, but um, I, I'm all for that. But I think that getting healthy, drawing that circle again around yourself if you're single and saying, God, I want the right person for me. I learned some things in this last relationship. Maybe it was my fault, maybe it wasn't, but now I want to honor you and I want to get close to you. And I think that if you're dating, whatever age, widow, widower, and your, your, you know, relationships this way are never going to be the healing factor until this, I believe, is right. Yep, getting healthy in all those areas. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, last one. Uh, if someone wants to work on their marriage here at Hope, so somebody's sitting here, we're, whatever campus they're watching online, they're saying, okay, I, my marriage is decent, but I think I can get better. Or my marriage is hanging by a thread, and I don't even want, I don't even want to try. Yeah. It, it's not even worth it. What What is... A pathway. What does a pathway look like here at Hope for someone uh, to get healthy in their marriage? Yeah, because we often hear, hey, you got to work to have a good marriage. And this is kind of what working looks like. So one of the things we do, we have several podcasts that we have here. And so we have a podcast called the Mindful Marriage Podcast. And according to my mom and my wife, it's the best podcast they've ever heard. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal because it's a podcast that I'm involved with. Um, um, it is good. Yeah, so it's called the Mindful Marriage Podcast, and I work with Tara Wiedemeyer, who's a licensed professional counselor, and so we talk about from that perspective. And so just marriage enrichment and trying to learn and hear some different things and all the things we've talked about are topics that we cover, uh, uncover on that. Um, we also have a counseling program, and so we have a list of counselors uh, that I personally have met with every single one of them mm-hmm. and know that they're trained and know that they are, they are pursuing a relationship with Jesus. Yep. And so going back and working on that kind of stuff as a couple or as an individual, just so vital. Um, and then also we have re-engage. Yep. And re-engage is really, it's marriage enrichment and recovery from, from hurts and pains. And there's something about being involved in community with other people, hearing that you're not alone, hearing that there are solutions, uh, and supporting each other. And it's like, it's like a beautiful date night of getting together instead of just going and staring at a screen. It's working on a relationship. And so listening, learning, podcast, uh, counseling, re-engage, going to re- regen, 
Regeneration yeah. on Monday night and just working on yourself. All beautiful things. So One of the things I hear about re-engage, because somebody says, hey, they ask me, hey, we're in trouble. What do we need to do? And, and of course, counseling is a part of that. We have a lot of counselors in our church, and we are all for that. But I think that sometimes people in marriages that are, that are in, a, in a challenge, they want a quick fix. Re-engage is a 14-week kind of a commitment. And it's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time. Well, let me just ask you how important is your marriage? Yeah. I mean, it's an investment and what I hear, and you've told these stories at our staff meetings, and, and we've told them even on video, how many people come to a first re-engaged in, uh, you know, meeting, and they have fill out a questionnaire, right? And they just say, there is no chance for this marriage. I'm just here, last resort. I'm here because my wife made me or my husband made me, but I don't think it's going to work. 14 weeks later, their marriage is better than ever. Yeah. And it's not a, there's not one pill that is the miracle, but I'm just saying that what I've heard, and especially those who have gone through affairs, pain, violation, betrayal, and you're, you're trying to make decisions and, and you have friends that are well-meaning that just say, get out, you know, just walk away. And sometimes that is the answer, biblical grounds for some of those things. But sometimes it's to say, all right, Lord, where do you want us? And that is in that 14 weeks. It's not a one-time, in-the-moment emotional decision. It's a, okay, I'm going to give this some breathing room to work. Yep. And you guys, you've, you've uh, I mean, you live, breathe, and smoke this stuff. But this, this <laughs> uh, marriage, I mean, okay. and, and trying <laughs> okay. to get people healthy. <clears throat> um, I, you know that it works. Yeah. And it can, and counseling. It's an all, it's a, it's a, it's a both and, not either or. So yeah. I just encourage you, if you're in trouble, right, get, get the help you need, make the investment so that you can honor the Lord, honor your family, and honor each other. And so, Brock, uh, I know in a, you know, all of us here, hopefully many of us are doing well, and, uh, but some of us probably aren't. And, and I just want you to pray over our marriages, those who are single, widowed, widowers, those that are challenged, those that are dating in high school and college, those that are, you know, in their second relationship or second marriage, third marriage, blended families, all those things. Would you just pray a blessing over us as we pursue and lean into Jesus more? Awesome. I'll stand up and pray for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for everyone gathered today here. Father, we bring to you our hurts and our pains and our mistakes and our want-tos and wish we would have done betters. And Lord Jesus, we know that as we gaze upon you, you gaze back upon us with love and grace and forgiveness and hope. So Father, I pray for all the relationships that are in the future, that are going on now, God, that you would just bring healing. You would give us the courage to stand up today and say, whether it be going to re-engage, counseling, whatever it would be, Father, that might work for us, give us the strength not to wait, but to say, let's find healing now. And Father, we trust that you'll be in that process. So for everyone here today, Lord, I pray your peace, your hope, your guidance, and your deliverance, and your grace be with them. 
Father, we want to honor you by loving others well. Teach us, guide us, heal us, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.